Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Ask Abdi podcast, where your ego takes a licking and hopefully with time, softens its ticking. Let's dive right in. I have a bunch of really good questions from you lovely souls and honest, which I really like. First one is, can you please go over the significance of retaliation, revenge, and karma? When to speak your truth when someone has done something wrong to you and when not to? So this is obviously a broad question. I don't know the specifics of what you're going through. But first and foremost, I would say own your own rage, your own anger. When I see those kinds of words thrown together like retaliation and revenge, karma, there's a lot of anger usually. It doesn't come from a calm place. This doesn't mean that you negate what you're feeling. This actually means just to go into it internally and feel and sit with the revenge part, the part of you that wants to retaliate or the part of you that wishes ill on someone um, in the realm of hopefully their karma catches up with them or all the language that we use. So that part I would say is a good thing to do. It will be helpful for you. The second thing I would say is that the healing in all these situations happens internally. So whether you retaliate or have revenge or talk to this person or even get them into a weakened spot, get them to apologize to you, the healing happens within. This doesn't mean that you don't bring it up. Again, you sit with it. You sit with this energy. But ultimately, you're talking about healing for you. What you're looking for here is serenity. Or what I hope you're looking for is your own serenity. Punishing someone else is actually not dealing with what is. In Buddha's beautiful language, anger is like picking up a piece of hot coal to throw at someone. You burn your own hand first. Now, I don't mean that in some cute new agey way where we paste these fake smiles on our face and kind of smile mindlessly and, oh, well, it's okay. I certainly don't mean that. I certainly mean internally own that piece and see where your rage is, see where it's burning hot. Even where you've, you know, yourself, you've betrayed yourself by aspects where you weren't capable in the moment or aware in the moment to take care of yourself, right? So it's not taking responsibility for it. It's just taking responsibility for what's up. There are really damaged people out there that damage people, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical. So I'm not saying take responsibility. Again, to be clear about this, I'm not victim blaming. I'm saying get the power back in yourself. Feel your feelings. Don't necessarily depend on the person who injured you to come back and heal you. The healing happens internally. And the last part I'd leave you with with this question is be human. Again, let yourself be human. Yeah, people suck. Absolutely. And saying people suck is a flippant way of saying people are damaged. We're all damaged. Because of our damage, because of our unconsciousness, we damage other people daily in little ways, in big ways, in unconscious ways. Till we become conscious. So when this kind of behavior is thrown at us, obviously it's painful. Obviously it can have deep lasting effects on our nervous system, on our psyche. So my heart goes out to you. Be gentle with yourself, but watch the place in you that thinks that whether you retaliate or get revenge or karma strikes this person and they get damaged by getting hit by a bicycle crossing 6th Avenue, not going to resolve the issue inside of you. Second question. As you have always counseled, 
there's nothing external to do. I understand it at the deepest of levels. The what of right action. Is this arguably world war? How do we conduct ourselves? When what feels like not only a call to radical healing, but also to call defend the sacred, to fight. Are we all the indigenous now, helplessly watching the encroaching genocide? And should we fight simply because it's our lot, our duty? So this is a loaded one, pretty heavy duty. The first thing I would say, my first hit is that there is a hero complex going on here. Um, the sacred does not need you to fight for it. When you say the sacred, to me, that's the part of us that's beyond the dream. That is actually us. These little fingertips that are me, you, uh, everyone listening, we're all fingers of the same hand. The idea of fighting here, um, meaning what's going on on this plane right now, um, this plane, the only thing that really heals it is self-remembrance. This plane needs self-remembrance. Not its flames of uh, forgetfulness being fueled um, by the ego, right? So what I read here actually really stinks of that. And I say that lovingly because God knows I've had this um, chip on my shoulder for many, many decades as a healer, as a martial artist, you know, always wanting to help and do that. It has to come from a bright place. It can be from a fighting place. So I would take this question and actually put in the word your inner child, right? So actually reread this for all of us, you know, the world war, um, the need to fight, to protect. Put that inner child in there and read it to yourself. Does the inner child need protecting? Yes, that's where the hero complex comes from. There's an aspect where we were wronged as a child, emotionally, sexually, there was transgression when we were helpless. So now we want to protect, we want to be a protector. Ultimately, the protection is for that inner child. And obviously the past, again, cannot be healed in the present, but we can actually make room for the past by sitting with it and not bring it into the present, go into the past, really delve into that part of the unconscious. Where is this wounding? Where is this need? There's been murder on this realm since day one. Where does that come from? Forgetfulness. I am separate from you. You threaten me. I will kill you. Obviously, our media, everything that's going on is not doing us any favors right now. So the old divide and conquer piece, it's so in play. Don't feed it. Really do not feed it. Step back. And this is not about, again, being some new agey dumbass and closing your eyes to all the horrors that are going on. These horrors have been going on forever. It's just visible more now. So that would be my answer to that piece. Tend to yourself. And when I say there's nothing external to do, you have to understand, I've um, dedicated my whole adult life, almost four decades now, trying to help people. But like I've always told you, the first... 10, 15 years has been from a place of wounding. And that didn't work out too well. And then when he cleaned up my own garbage, it became more clean. There was less distortion in the work. So I'll offer that to you. Saying there's nothing to do doesn't mean we just fall asleep. If you're getting called to do something, you do something. But certainly violence or picking up of arms, remember the words of Buddha again. 
That's just throwing a piece of hot coal. We burn ourselves first. Next question. Isn't it true that we're in a dream while we're awake and that we have a preview of our eternal life when we're sleeping? How can we remember the knowingness that we were born with? Interesting. This is the head question. I appreciate it. The first thing I would say to you, remember the words of our homie Nisargadatta Maharaj. He used to say, you don't need to understand enough if you don't misunderstand. And that's the kind of way of saying that the ego can't really understand it. We just have to move the misconceptions out of the way. So this question is like a fish asking, what is it like to be dry? Well, if a fish is dry, there's no more fish. And it's pretty much like that, right? So eternal life is here all the time. The thing that gets in the way of us being in remembrance is all the way we distract ourselves, right? So remembrance is here if we just work on not distracting ourselves. So this question, lovely, sit with it, but don't sit with it in your head. Who's to say? what's in your dream state. If you're asking this question, it means you don't know what's in your dream state. So this is just some kind of reference to a possibility. But certainly in your dream state, you're not you, unless you're having lucid dreaming, there is no you. So to follow that, work on that. And that's as simple as everything that I always show you. Just feel your body, get out of your head, drop down into your feet, sit with it in a feeling way. This question can be profound, not if it's coming from your head. So sit with it, feel into this question without trying to figure it out in your head. Next question. I have lost all hope and inspiration. I feel scared and stuck in a routine. But at the same time, I feel overwhelmed by the thought of changing my life or starting over in some respect. What first step can I take to help myself to get on a new track? Again, lovely. This is, the honesty is wonderful. If you can be honest enough with yourself that you have lost all hope and you've lost all inspiration, that you are scared, these are wonderful things. Being stuck in a routine, most of us do that, which is a form of distraction, right? So give yourself some time again. The, the remedy for pretty much most of what comes up is get out of your head. Sit with it. The head is what got you here. Sit with yourself, open some room, and feel and sit with the possibilities that can come from that sitting, from opening that space. We're all scared till we're not. And we're all stuck till we're not. Now, I'm a big fan of obviously sitting, but I'm also a big fan of if you need some help, go to a short-term therapy. Figure out what this piece is. Try doing something totally different than what you normally do to dehypnotize yourself. Certainly watch the addictive patterns when these things come up. So you can actually sit with and break through that. So when we realize we have hope, we've lost hope, and I always say this to you, remember, hope is really dangerous business. People always go kind of look at me like a confused person when I say that, because hope means you're not in the moment. If you're in the moment, we have no room for hope or fear. Fear, past, right, something that we've experienced, didn't wasn't pleasant, we're fearful of it, and then we project into the future. And hope is not being okay with the moment and projecting something in the future. Well, both those things means we're not in the present. Now, does it mean that we don't have hopes and fears? Yeah, we all do. 
But to base life in that, that's like smoking crack. Have the hope, but it should be based on reality of something you're doing towards it. So the idea of having the hope, I mean, not even have the hope, the idea of having the hope means you're actually not, you're really so miserable, which we all are on some level to we're not in the moment. All the addictive things that we do, scrolling through the phone mindlessly, is a discomfort with the moment. You know, watching 10 Netflix series or stuff in our face when we don't even think we're hungry, we all do it. That's actually being uncomfortable in the moment. The beautiful thing is that you're honest with yourself. Again, I love these questions. There's an honesty coming here, right? So pay attention to that. Next question. I've come to realize that a part of myself that I thought was helpful, caring and attentive to others, is actually a mask to avoid a direct relationship with my inner self, and that I've unconsciously been a vampire to other people's energy to keep myself mobilized externally. How do I reckon with this, as well as help wean myself off of being a codependent caretaker? Boy, I got a PhD in this one. Well done. Again, I love the honesty of this. I've actually have done both written and um, podcasts on caretaking versus caregiving. So I don't want to get back into this too much because I actually spent a lot of time explaining that, but literally sit with those two things. Caretaking again is taking. That's the part of us that uses the taking, the caretaking of another as a way of A, hide our pain, B, get kudos, and really on an unconscious level, we want to fix somebody else so they get healthy so then they can take care of us. That's really what's going on on an unconscious level, right? So caretaking is actually in the word. I'm taking. Caregiving is what we're looking for, is a clean part of it, um, because we're actually giving without this need of anything back. I love that you use the word vampire because there is a vampiric part of it. It's unconscious, right? It's an unconscious piece. And again, there has to be compassion towards ourselves because that comes from such a deep, wounded little child. Caretakers don't come from healthy childhoods. Whether it's abuse again or whether it's something perceived, it comes from a deep wounding. So you have to be gentle with yourself. At the same time, you have to be firm that you actually break this pattern. So literally just sit down. You can journal about this. Again, therapy can be helpful. And start taking care of yourself. Cut out the middleman. Right? Caretaking is, I'm going to fix you, I'm going to take care of you, you get better, then you're going to give me something. Cut that person out. Just go directly to you. What are your needs? Most caretakers don't even know they have needs. I'm fine. I'm okay. But you cannot be in that kind of desperation, which caretaking actually is, if you do not have needs. So another piece here is pay attention. Pay attention to where your needs are, what your needs are, trying to figure them out. Start having a relationship with yourself as opposed to putting other people first and being a beggar. Now, the next couple of questions, there actually has been a bunch of them. And this has also been coming up in a lot of my sessions. And, you know, I'm just doing phone sessions now, so I get to talk to people all around the world and different continents. It is amazing in the midst of all this craziness and pain and darkness on the outside, there's this amazing energy available for people that actually really want to do the work and wake up. And this question, again, there, there's a bunch of them, but I'll read one or two of them, but they're all basically say the same thing. Is it okay that I feel I've outgrown everyone in my life? I've changed so much this past year 
that my perspective is completely different from everybody around me. With that said, I don't know how to embrace this shift as I vacillate between wanting to let most of the people in my life go and being completely afraid to be truly alone. So literally the people who've been sitting with themselves, whether they're in a relationship, whether they're solo, because of the lockdown, love that term, comes from prison, right, lockdown. Because of the lockdown, there has been an isolation, a chance to sit. Now, the incredible thing is, in my experience, many, many, many people, doesn't matter. They've kept the old sort of addictive behavior going, even in the midst of this lockdown and pandemic. But for the people who've actually taken a step back internally, there has been this awakening, this breaking of hypnosis is actually a more accurate way of saying it, where they kind of have realized that what they thought feeds them doesn't feed them. The people they have talked to, the behaviors they did, their hobbies, they have actually woken up to this reality. For a lot of people, it's been a bit confusing, but relieving. So you're not alone. There is something definitely happening. This is my experience, again, talking to people, and they can be people of different ages. Some have 30-year-olds that say this to me, have 80-year-olds that say this to me. So your work is just to follow that. The alone thing is really huge. Like I always say to you, the word alone and the word all one are very similar. And there's a reason for that. I don't feel that to be a coincidence. There is a moment in between awakening and sleeping really the other way around, but as we awaken from our sleep, the aloneness is there, but it's moving towards all oneness. All oneness, part of it is we actually don't need, because we don't feel alone, the ego starts dying in some way, which is really what this awakening process is. And really this instant awakening things and all these enlightenment stories that you know we read about in the books and the past, that's rare. And it's actually usually kind of not easy to have that. This is a gift when it happens slowly. The painful part of it is that, that slowly we wake up, there's a moment where we, even the foods that we eat might change, certainly the people we hang out with changes, certainly the behaviors we've had for decades change. So part of it is it's okay to be afraid. There's really nothing to be afraid of, but it's okay. Life will guide you. There is no going back to those people. I mean, this has been my own experience. As I've shared with you, as someone who lived in New York City and since the mid-70s and literally knew thousands of people, as my process deepened, I wasn't hanging out with the people. It just wasn't necessary. It was actually exhausting. So there is a dying process that happens. A part that's easy to forget, there's also a deep serenity that comes with this. So as we wake up, we kind of forget and sometimes we feel lonely, but you actually forget that you're not in a state of anxiety you were. I would say to you, examine that as well, how there is less anxiety, there's a calmness. That's very easy to bypass, you know, kind of look over it. So celebrate that piece as well, because people are losing it right now, right? I'm not saying losing it because of what's going on externally, whether it's politics or the health stuff. It's way deeper than that. And obviously the media really amps this stuff up even more, but that awareness actually is very, very helpful. So sit with that peace with yourself and celebrate that peace. And again, to reread that part, as I vacillate between wanting to let most of the people in my life go and being completely afraid to be truly alone, that's normal. 
and the vacillation can last months or years. But slowly those people will fall off because it's not just you that can't really tolerate the discomfort of fake or false connection. Those people also, unless they wake up with you, they're not going to be able to open up, right? Or be with you in that open space. So yeah, it's painful, sure it is. But again, celebrate the gifts that come with it. It's very easy to forget that. Um, there's several questions on that. Let me find, um, here's another one. I find it quite fascinating that the crazier things get in our world, the more clear and grounded I feel inside. I've been doing shadow work for a few years now, so I feel that I've prepared me for this navigating of all the nonstop negative projections of the news, politics, social media, etc. that we're experiencing now more than ever. But seeing others around me, whatever in real life or in social media, drowning in negativity, what hope is there for them? So this is sort of similar to that, but the next level is, um, you know, wanting to save people or wanting to help them. If we agree that this realm on one level is a dream, that we're dreaming it, this is the thing that I've been saying to you for a while. Some people really want to watch Friday the 13th. They want to watch a horror film. You have to be okay with that. Is there hope for them? Realistically, I mean, truly, in my own direct experience, you know, when you wake up, no one's born, no one dies. Truly, nothing's touched. So this is still a misconception that what hope is there for them. You know, find peace inside yourself and hold that. That's what this realm needs, right? So pay attention to that peace. Pay attention to that peace. You have to be okay with it. If people want to do drugs, there's nothing you can do for it. They're going to do drugs. You know, when I became sober from drugs at a pretty young age and got into doing drug detox work, you know, I still had friends die that I loved so dearly and wanted to help them so bad. They just weren't going to go there. Is it a heartbreaking? Sure it is. Do you see them suffer? Sure. They have to be okay with it. So to answer your question again, what hope is there for them? Not your business. You do your work. If we do our work, we do us, everything else comes to pass. Again, not easy, obviously, but important. Um, so there's a couple of things, again, same questions, you know. Um, same question, just actually an interesting one. The pandemic has forced me to slow down in many ways. I never thought I needed I'm a certified workaholic and a very social person, and now I cannot imagine resuming the pace that I once maintained on a daily basis. My question is, what part of me needed to stay social and busy, and why? My hope now is to find a healthier lifestyle to what my soul really needs. So the why is basically anxiety suppression. I mean, our running around, with like chickens with our heads cut off, running on a rat race, and the fact that we never stop to the point where we lay on our bed at night and our mind goes all the time, that's just anxiety suppression. Busyness is anxiety suppression, right? Business, busyness is so interesting. Those words always cracked me up. Business and busyness as someone who learned English, I was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting thing, right? Busyness, business. That is our business to keep busy. So again, many people haven't slowed down. At some point when things open up, the interesting thing is going to be how difficult is it going to be for some of us who've had this full sort of break? How do we deal with that? Well, again, you have to have a relationship with yourself. The more you deepen that relationship, the easier it gets as things quote-unquote open up. And once you wake up to yourself, it's very hard to betray yourself. You certainly cannot have the same behaviors you had before and not suffer. So hopefully that helps. 
wonderful for all of you writing these things. So, so wonderful. So honest. Keep that energy. Be your own lover. Like I always tell you, be your own lover. Truly have a relationship with this person that you don't know. And it's deep. It goes deep. And it's a beautiful thing. All right. So move out of that realm. I have two more for you. How do you use presence and grounding with children in intense situations? So I've shared this story a couple of times with you. I learned this when I used to work with, um, especially with, with like speed freaks and um, crackheads back in the day uh, in Lincoln Hospital. And, you know, the amphetamine and speed is sort of like how kids are because the hormones running through them just absolutely makes them bonkers. So I learned that if I could drop my breathing, slow my talking, and kinesthetically be aware of my lower body, the people around me chilled out, right? So trying to put needles in someone's body who's coming off drugs, whose story has been amped up for years, for months, it's not easy business, right? The last thing they want to do is feel that kind of discomfort and pain. Children are the same way in those situations, right? Obviously, it's not an easy thing. You know, I'm not a parent, but I love kids and I spend a lot of, I have spent a lot of time with kids always, you know, through this pandemic. But I have learned, especially with as little as like, you know, six or nine months old, as old as whatever, a couple of years old to even teens, but I definitely do it also with my adult patients is I drop into my body. Now, when a kid is screaming for hours, I know it's not easy. When I have an earache, a stomachache, a little bit older, when they're arguing with you, when they're demonstrably starting to get some sense of self by saying no all the time in their twos and threes. Not always easy. So obviously make room for your humanity. Make room for the fact that you're a human being. And sometimes you're gonna to wanna to jump out the window. That's okay. You step back, you go in. The intense thing and the beautiful thing about kids is that it's constant, stopless, nonstop, practice. But like a session that you can go to for 10 days, you really can't take that time off. If you're lucky enough and you can get away for a little bit or you have a partner or you have a babysitter, you have these moments of rest, but it's nonstop spiritual practice. So give yourself a break. That's really important. Kinesthetically slow down when you can. Not always the easiest after you've been Zooming for 12 hours working and then have to prepare a meal, right? I can imagine. But slow down. And when it gets really intense, step back. It minutes for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, step back. Ground, feel your feet, literally kinesthetically feel the lower body, slow the breathing down and come back. Last one. I love this one because it's such a part of our culture and I love that this person has been so honest um, to write this so clearly. So it goes. I've always fantasized about being famous, and I'm truly ashamed of this desire or its grandiosity and its selfishness. I'm a pretty talented artist and writer, but not widely known. Intellectually and soulfully, I see the trappings and limitations of fame, and sense the desire comes from a childhood where I feel where I felt really unseen and unworthy, unless I was the best, quote unquote, or the brightest. Because I know this, I often belittle or hide my gifts and then feel resentment and envy towards those who do not hide. What words do you have towards a middle path, 
with this desire. And thank you for your wisdom as always. Lovely, you're very welcome. So, first of all, thank you for your honesty. Again, you know, the couple of questions that were sort of statements questions in, you know, in, in explaining yourself, the honesty is really the first part, right? That's like the first step or probably the main step in terms of righting this wrong towards ourselves. right? So this is really beautiful. Hopefully you have this question you've written and you still have it. Look at it, right? And be kind to that child. So this is all of us in this culture. You know, I'm old enough to remember a time when, like, there weren't computers, there wasn't this need on this level of fame, it just wasn't a part of it, right? So the whole social media thing is based on this. I mean, all of it is really based on this, right? So we look outside of ourselves to validate this person that we think we should be or we want to be. So this is great that you have this honesty with yourself. You know, fame comes or it doesn't come, right? If you chase it, it can be quite empty when it comes, when you actually find it. And, you know, I worked with really famous people for the second half of my, when I was working, seeing patients practice. And it was really interesting. Like, there were famous people who were really awesome because they were really doing their art. They were true artists, whether they're writers, actors, musicians. And then there was a majority of them where the wounding was really wanting to be famous as a part of using that, and they were miserable. Because that's really the drug addict, the drug addict finding the pile of drugs and just doing it, and there's no satiation point. So first and foremost, you want to really develop your art. Now, let the shame thing go. Shame, remember, is a human-made thing. It's actually not an emotion. Like I always say, fear is an emotion, anger is an emotion, grief is an emotion. Shame is a human-made tool to keep us in line. So have compassion on yourself. You know, it really, the shame piece is such a deep wounding for all of us. And we have to really have compassion for that little boy, little girl that feels that because it's so, so devastating. So I would say to you, really pay attention, right? So your work really is not to hide. That's your work. So after working on your art, after work on your writing, keep perfecting your craft, the one thing that's really important, we always work on our craft. There's always perfecting the craft, right? Whatever the craft is. For me, I've done this almost for decades. I've been a motorcycle rider longer than that. I still learn every time I get on a bike. I still learn every time I work with a patient. I'm always learning. I feel that's you as well. And if it's not, which I feel it is, work on that. So first and foremost, really work on your craft. I mean, and daily, right? This is very, very important. Show up for the craft. Then the second part of your work would be don't hide. Work on not hiding. So someone, you know, you read them a paragraph of something you wrote or show them something you've made, and they're like, oh, that's really beautiful. You're like, oh, it's nothing. Right there, there's a self-betrayal, right? So go back to the number of times, the situations where you hit, where someone said something, you hit, you know, and... The belittling and hiding our gifts, part of it can also be survival. Yes, there's self-degradation um, going on there and, you know, how we don't believe in ourselves. And that's all of us, again, to some extent. But there's also a piece where we hide because we're actually, we're recreating the childhood wounding. Right? Because if I get seen, what's going to happen? I'm going to get smacked. It's not going to, it's not really real. I'm not, so we don't, we, we don't want to risk it. So you're going to have to take a risk. Right? Take a risk. 
Put your stuff out there. And again, the fame thing is so fascinating because it's become such a part of the culture. And just an interesting side note how, how wounding it is. You know, the thing that always used to blow my mind about treating famous people was how they spoke about other famous people. Like, it was just nothing that I, ever impressed me. I just never, you know, just wasn't my thing. Probably my age and being where I was from, I wasn't really impressed. So it was interesting how people would name drop. Why am I saying that to you? That's the curse of the fame thing. It's insatiable. It's like drinking salt water. You do that because you can't really taste it, so then you want to taste it through other people. So the fame thing is a curse of this culture. I mean, truly, and this culture has become world culture. And again, you said it beautifully, like we are trying to heal our childhood by being famous. That's disastrous to become famous from that place. Just like it's disastrous to become rich from that place because you'll never be at peace. Right? Some of the richest people I've come across, the same thing as this, they have money worries. They're not assholes. They're not, they're just wounded. Right? There has to be compassion for that part. Have compassion for that part of yourself. Right? And definitely some work around this. So if you're doing even short-term therapy, get in touch with that little child that had to endure this. Right? So these ways of being in the world, the way we react, the way we are, it comes from wounding. It all goes back to that. Heal that. And also remember, as an artist, your gift is the fact that you already are an artist. That's such a gift. I understand that many people, many, many people, especially as the culture has become more and more consumer, do not create. They only consume. To create anything is divine. It's beautiful. Right? That's why consumption never fills the hole. Whether it's things, whether it's people, whether it's sex, what is it doesn't it's creation that feeds us. That's a reflection of a divine principle, for lack of a better word. So also be amazing for you to celebrate that. Take out your artwork, take out your writing, look at it. Right? And false humility doesn't serve anyone. It's actually confusing. If I read a paragraph of your work, I'm like, this is really beautiful. You're like, ah, it's really just bullshit. It's confusing to me because I felt beauty. And then you belittle it, right? So again, sit with that piece, stay conscious with it, and pay attention to that little child that had this, that had to go through this. Now, as we sign out, let's spend a couple of minutes, pull the energy down, feel our bodies, Deep breath. Be aware of your face. Be aware of your jaw. Relax your tongue, your throat. Feel your neck and shoulders. Be aware of your arms. your elbows, your forearms, down to your hands. Be aware of the back of your head, your neck and throat, your spine. 
aware of your chest, your abdomen. your hips, your thighs, let your belly be soft, be aware of your knees, your calves and your shin bones, feel your feet, Just feel your body. Staying in this state of remembrance, even if it's temporary, it's amazingly helpful. It's amazingly helpful to dissolve who we think we are. It's really incredibly helpful to all those around us. It's really incredibly helpful for the planet. This is the great dismantling that I was talking about many podcasts ago and written about. This is what's going on. The alarm clock is set. We can choose to wake up or not. We don't even know what that means when we're sleeping. We can just follow each piece of information that comes our way. So sit with yourself. Let that tune in to what needs to come in, what needs to let go. Be conscious of the media. Be conscious of all the propaganda. Left, right, doesn't matter. Profound amount of propaganda being shoved down all our throats. Listen to your inner self. It is the ultimate compass, always, and it's always here at your service. Be gentle with yourself. Wash those masks. Every time you use them, wash them. They're bacteria-infested little pieces of environment, so just wash them. Make sure you're taking care of yourself, your diet. Make sure you're taking your supplements, your vitamin D, your zinc. Keep in tune with yourself. I send you so much love. Keep on keeping on. <laughs>